This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. Uh, today, the title of the message is this, Don't Forget to Remember. Don't Forget to Remember. Now, people always speculate, you know, about, well, the, the biggest problem facing America today is this. The biggest problem with the body of Christ today is this. The biggest problem with this generation is this. And I'm sure you could come up with all sorts of different issues, all sorts of different things that face us today. But I believe that one of the biggest problems that faces us today is memory loss. Some short-term memory, some long-term memory. Now, you know, maybe some of the older people are like, hey, man, I heard that. And some of the younger people, I don't know what he's talking about. But there is an issue facing Christians all over the world, and it's this memory loss. It's people forgetting what God has already done for them before. Now, that's a dangerous spot to be in, as we're going to see here in a second. But I want you to look at an opening verse here, Isaiah 46 and verse 9. Isaiah 46 and verse 9. We are going to dig into God's word today, and we are going to see some things that will change your life. Who would like for your life to get a whole lot better after you leave here today? I mean, I, I don't come to church just so I can leave the same way I came. I want changed. I want to be better than how I used to be. I want, even if it means I was wrong on something, tell me I'm wrong so I can fix it. Don't lie to me and tell me I'm doing everything right when I'm not. I want to be what Jesus wants me to be. And so Isaiah 46 and verse 9, it says, Remember the things I have done in the past. For I alone am God. I am God, and there is none like me. Have you ever met anybody else like God? I've never met anybody like him. Now, I've met people that have some of his qualities, and I strive every single day to be more and more like him. But he said right here, you better remember the things that I've done in the past. I alone am God. I am God, and there is none like me. There is nobody like God, there is nobody that's done anywhere near as much for me as God Almighty has. And that's why I care about his opinion a lot more than I care about your opinion. You know, we're all caught up. Well, the majority of people say this and, and these people over here think this. I don't care what they think. They've not done anything for me. I care what God thinks because he saved my life. He healed me of cancer. He gave me a wife and kids. He gave me a church. He brought me out of the ditch. I care what he has to say, but everybody else, I don't care so much. There is none like him, and I will never forget the things that he has done in my life. And so every single one of us, hopefully in here, can think of a time when God rescued us, when God saved us, or provided for us when we were in a super bad situation. And in fact, I would venture to say most of us cannot only think of one time that God came through. We can think of several times that God came through. And there is no doubt, there is times that you would not have made it on your own. But God, God came through and he, sometimes it may have been in crunch time, it may have been the fourth quarter, but Jesus showed up. And he made a way where there seemed to be no way. Now, unfortunately, what we see time and time again, and this is a major issue, 
in the face of time or in the face of another storm or or maybe times are good now, whatever the case is, people tend to forget the things that God has done for them in the past, the things that he's already brought them through, the battles that they have already won. And that's a dangerous spot to be in. In fact, why is it? Well, God just said right there, remember the things I have done in the past. That's reason enough for me right there to say, me remembering what God's already done is a really big deal because he straight up told me, you better remember the things that I have done in the past for I alone am God. There is nobody like him and you better never forget that. You better always remember that, that he is the one and only. And so whatever it is we're facing today, how many of you in here right now, you're alive? Roughly 40% of the people sitting up right in this room are alive. Thank God. Now, I never wanted to go to a dead church, but, you know, whatever. So some of you are like, you got you got oxygen coming. Okay, so listen, you're alive. That tells me one thing. You have survived 100% of the bad days and rough seasons that you have faced so far. You haven't met the one to take you down yet. You're still kicking. You're still alive. And I give God the glory for that. And so that tells me whatever I'm facing right now, I'm going to make it through this one too. Amen? So today is a good day to be in the house of the Lord. And we're going to study some of this out. We're going to look at what happens when you forget what Jesus has already done for you. Let's pray together this morning. We're going to get into God's word. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord for the chance to come and to open our Bibles and hear the Word of God. Lord, we're not here to hear the Word of me or the Word of somebody else. We're here to hear the Word of God. Speak to us today, Lord. If you need to correct us, if you need to discipline us a little bit, you have full permission to do it because if we're wrong, we want to know it so we can be right. And God, if you just need to encourage us, encourage us, whatever it is that you need to do today, Lord, I pray that you have your way in the mighty name of Jesus. Can somebody say amen? So we're going to look at a few things that happen when you forget what Jesus has done for you. Number one, you become fearful. When you forget what Jesus has already done for you, you become fearful. You have a bad situation show up and you're afraid of it. Now, I can tell you this much. If you're someone that consistently has on your mind all the things God's already done, when the big bad wolf shows up to huff and puff and blow your house down, you're not really afraid. You're like, oh, this again? Come on. I remember last time what Jesus did. This is, I'm, what's this guy thinking this time? But if you're somebody that doesn't remember what Jesus did for you before, when the devil shows up to huff and puff, you actually get scared. Is that him? I mean, right, Mike? You know what I'm talking about? That, that happens. And, and when we forget what Jesus has done, we become fearful. Let's look at a story here in Mark chapter 8. Let's flip over to Mark chapter 8. And we're going to look at verses 16 through 21. Mark chapter 8, verses 16 through 21. And I'm telling you right now that this word is for somebody here today. You need to hear what we're getting ready to look at. Mark chapter 8. And we're going to look at verses 16 through 21. And here's a story of Jesus and the disciples crossing to the other side of the lake there, crossing to the other side of the waters. And something kind of, I mean, this is an ironic story to me. 
I've shared it many times, and I'm sure you've read it in the scripture many times, but a very ironic story that we're getting ready to look at. Mark chapter 8, and we're going to look here at verses 16 through 21. And so they're crossing to the other side of the lake, and, and, and look at this. Verse 16, it says, As at this they began to argue with each other because they hadn't brought any bread. They're like, oh, man, here we are. We've already left shore. Peter, did you bring the bread? No, I didn't bring it. John, did you bring Andrew, where's the bread? You mean to tell me nobody brought the bread? And so they're arguing with each other, as these guys are prone to do. Jesus knew what they were saying, so he said, Why are you arguing about having no bread? Of all the things to argue about, bread is not one of them. And so, why are you arguing about having no bread? Don't you know or understand even yet are your hearts too hard to take it in? You have eyes, can't you see? You have ears, can't you hear? Don't you remember anything at all? And I feel like God's saying that to some people today. Don't you remember anything at all? You're going to seriously worry and argue about that situation right now? Don't you remember anything at all? If you were to rewind to the beginning of of Mark chapter 8, they just saw Jesus feed 4,000 people with seven loaves of bread. And here they are arguing, we don't have enough bread. What's going to happen, Jesus? He said, don't you remember anything at all? When I fed the 5,000 with five loaves of bread, how many baskets of leftovers did you pick up afterward? Twelve, he said. Well, how many disciples are on the boat? Twelve. I mean, come on. Each guy walked away with at least one full basket of leftovers. And if you come where I come from, you appreciate leftovers. Somebody say amen. I grew up in a big family with brothers that could eat like horses, all right? You were lucky to get around one sometimes, let alone leftovers. And here, each guy got a full basket of leftovers out of this deal, and they're arguing about bread. Verse 20, and what about when I fed the 4,000 with seven loaves? That was just like hours ago. How many large baskets of leftovers did you pick up? Well, seven, they said. Don't you understand yet, he asked them. So Jesus, as you can tell, was pretty frustrated in this situation because these guys were arguing, well, what are we going to do? They're afraid and fearful and upset about not having any bread. And they've got Jesus Christ in the boat with him, the guy that is the bread master. Come on. In fact, Jesus is so good with bread that he literally said in John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. If, if you're worried, if, if, if there's anything to not worry about with Jesus in the boat, it's about a bread issue. That's why, I mean, hang on, hang on, hang on. Imagine this. Imagine this with me, okay? So, okay, you've got bread with you right there, the bread of life. And so, what am I going to do? Can you tell me how to get some bread? I need bread. I'm worried about bread. I don't know where I'm going to get bread. Could you help me with bread? And you're you're saying it right there to bread. You're asking bread where you're going to get bread. Some of you are asking the provider, where am I going to get the money from? Where am I going to get provision from? And you're staring it right in the face. Well, how am I going to get healed? I I don't know what I'm going to do. Jesus is the healer, and you're looking it right in the face, right here in the Word of God. You're staring it in the face. 
man, my family's falling apart. Where are we going to get help at? I don't know. You're you're talking to the restorer and the healer, and you're looking him in the face, worried about where it's going to come from. If there is one thing that you've got going for you, it's that Jesus is on your side. Don't stare the bread of life right in the face and say, what are we going to do about bread? Because that should be the absolute least of your worries. That I don't get that. That doesn't make any sense to me. When we've got Jesus on our side, we've got every single thing we need. Imagine you're playing a backyard game of basketball and you've got Michael Jordan on your team, the GOAT. Come on. Are you going to really be afraid? All you got to do is get the ball to him and you're going to win. When you are facing a battle in life, all you got to do is get it over to Jesus and you're going to win. Quit trying to do this on your own. And so Jesus, the bread of life, says, man, guys, you are really, you don't even understand yet, do you? You, I, He said, you've got hard hearts. You've got hard hearts. Now, that doesn't, that doesn't sound like something you want to say to somebody that's dealing with fear right now. Man, I'm just so afraid what's going to happen. Well, your problem is you've got a hard heart. You insensitive jerk. Why would you say that to me? Well, don't you remember the last time you were in a bad spot and Jesus brought you through? The only way that you keep forgetting all that Jesus did is if you've got a hard heart. That's not what you want to hear, but sometimes the truth hurts. And just because the truth hurts doesn't change the fact that it's true. And sometimes we forget things because of a hard heart, and that's what Jesus said to them. Now, I remember this guy when I when I worked. I lived in Oklahoma, went to college there. And so one of my prestigious jobs was cleaning out self-storage units. I, I know people actually do that. Can you imagine that? That was my job. And so but but I worked with this guy that God had healed him. I mean, brought him up off of a deathbed of of this of lymphoma cancer. Right. Just like my dad had last year. But th- this guy, I mean, he was about dead. And so God brought him up off of it. And somebody said, you know, Man, what what if it ever came back? What what would you do? And, and he's like, well, I don't know. I, I don't know what would happen if it ever came back. And this person said, wait, didn't Jesus heal you last time? Wouldn't he just do it again? Well, I don't want to just suppose things. I don't want to just I don't want to just assume. And I'm like, you don't want to just assume that the guy that healed you last time could do it again a second time. You know, I, I mean, seriously, that the, the, the person that showed up with bread, you don't assume that he's got any more bread. You think Jesus ran out of healing in heaven? You think there's a shortage of resources? Well, I know, I know, I know it says that, but this is 2020. You, we've got a crisis going on right here. Heaven's not facing a crisis right now. That's another kingdom. That's a, that's a whole other, whole other realm right there. Heaven has not been affected at all by one thing that's happened on earth in 2020. Jesus is not running out of healing. He's not running out of money. He's not running out of love, joy, peace, or any other thing that he provides to us. Don't you remember? Don't you remember what he brought you through? Don't you remember what he did last time? Well, I know that was last time, but this is the biggest problem we've ever faced. Think about David for a minute. Teenage boy, David, he had, he had faced a lot of, you know, smaller battles, even though I don't think they're small, but facing a, you know, a, a bear and a lion. I mean, the guy beat down a bear with a stinking stick to save a sheep. That's some guts. But he comes up against 
Goliath the biggest problem he's ever faced in his life. And maybe you're up against the biggest problem you've ever faced in your life. Well, what did David start doing? He started remembering the things that God had already done for him. Well, I mean, the same, I, I faced a, a bear and beat it. I, I, fa- I faced a, a lion and beat it. I, uh, I did this and I did that. Who's this uncircumcised Philistine? He's going down too. One of the greatest weapons you have is your memory. Start remembering the things that God's already done before. Start speaking out the things that God's already done before. And if you're like me, it doesn't take long of testifying to yourself to get real excited about the next testimony that's going to be coming really, really soon. You better testify. You better start remembering. You better start encouraging yourself about what God's already done in your life. When you don't remember what Jesus has already done, you become fearful And you should not be fearful, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. If you've got a spirit of fear, it didn't come from God, because he hasn't given you a spirit of fear. He's given you a spirit of power, of love, and a sound mind. And I'd rather have love, power, and a sound mind than fear any day of the week. My eyes better stay on Jesus, and I better remember what he's already done. And so when we forget what he's done, number one, we become fearful. Number two, you become unthankful. When you forget what Jesus has done for you, you become unthankful. And like it or not, there's a whole lot of unthankful people in this world that Jesus has done a whole lot for. They. I mean, I cannot tell you how many people I've seen Jesus do an absolute miracle. He brought their marriage back together. He brought their kids back home. He healed them. He provided a job. And you know what? I'm just going to say it. One of the most frustrating things that I have seen in, in all my years, and I see it time and time and time, and I probably don't see anything more than I see this. Somebody, man, God, I need a job. Oh, my gosh, Lord, get me the job. And, 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 and so they start coming to church. They start seeking God. And lo and behold, they get the job of their dreams that they are not even qualified for. I've seen this a thousand times. And as soon as they get the job they want, they quit coming to church. I have seen that more times than I can count. I've got pictures of faces just scrolling through my mind right now of people they got something that they totally could not have got on their own they got it and they're like thank you jesus deuces i will see you next time i need you and they just walk off how sad of a i mean what a bad what a what a bad example for your kids what a bad just i mean i'm not trying to make anybody feel bad but i am you should feel awful about that that you only use Jesus as your sugar daddy when you need something, you come to him, and he doesn't hear from you until next time? He's more than that. He's more than that. I, I ought to love him whether things are going how I want or how they're if they're not going how I want. I ought to love Jesus, and he should not only hear from me when I need something from him. He should hear from me every single day just to say, Good morning. I love you. Thank you 
for yesterday. Thank you for the day before that. But when you forget what Jesus has done, you become an unthankful little brat. Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. I'm not calling you that. I'm just saying I know a guy like that. I'm not, it's not personal to you. All right. But you, you know. Luke chapter 17. Man, we are going to have some fun at church today. I'm just, come on. Luke 17. We're going to look at verses 12 through 18. The famous story of unthankfulness that we share very often. Luke 17. Verses 12 through 18. And here's Jesus. I mean, once again, just doing what Jesus does, showing up and changing lives. He still does it because thank God, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. Who's glad that Jesus still heals people? My God, I am thankful that Jesus hasn't changed. Wow. Luke chapter 17. We're going to look here at verses 12 through 18. It says, as he entered a village there, ten men with leprosy stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. He looked at them and said, all right, go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. I mean, that's enough to just, that that is powerful right there. But look at this. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, praise God. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet thanking him for what he had done. Now, this man was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, wait a minute, didn't I heal ten men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? Now, out of that story, you've heard it before, but but wrap your mind around this, that Jesus heals ten people of leprosy, and you're not familiar with leprosy because we live in this nice cushioned bubble known as the United States, but it still exists, and it is a horrific, gnarly, disgusting disease that will rot your flesh right off the bone, man. It is fatal. You die. It is awful and disgusting, and ten guys have this disease, and Jesus instantly heals all ten of them, but only one man stops and says, Thank you. Can you Im- imagine this? There's a, a, a building burning on fire and, 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 and people are trapped inside and, and, and somebody runs in single-handedly and, and carries, carries them out, carries ten people out. Ten people, right? And, and they're rescuing kids and they, get, they put their life on the line and nine of the people, they get out there and like, whoa, that was weird. <laughs> All right. Just go... Walk off like nothing ever happened, and only one guy says thank you. I would want to catch those nine people and toss them back. No, I wouldn't want to do that. But I would want to catch those nine and say, what's wrong with you? What is so wrong with you that it would be too hard to at least say thank you and mean it? And I see people that Jesus Laid it all on the line. He, he went down and pulled them up out of the ditch. He, he bandaged their wound. He healed them and made them whole. And they don't even remember it six months later. They don't even have enough within them to show up to his house and be with the family and, and, to, and to read his word and, and to obey what he said, to, to even say, man, Jesus, thank you. I love you so much. There's nobody Like you, Jesus, I will never forget. That's a hard heart, a hard head, 
and a messed up spirit right there. That is messed up when Jesus would do something like that for you and, and, and you aren't even thankful for the rest of your life. Well, no, I'm thankful. I just, I don't know. I, blah, 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 blah. Save it. You're not. If we are thankful, it's not about perfection. It's not about trying to earn and, and, and pay Jesus back. You can never pay him back, so quit that right now. But we at least need to have the common decency to say thank you, to show up in his presence, to, to, to talk to him, to, to sing to him, to, to praise him, to give the sacrifice of praise even when we don't feel like it. He at least deserves that much for what he's already done for us. And I'm telling you right now that when we forget what he's done, we become unthankful. And so the story of the ten lepers shows me two things. Most people are unthankful, possibly as low as 10%. One out of ten said thanks. Now, I'm not going to, this isn't a scientific thing, but I think that as few as 10%, at least in Scripture right here, are genuinely thankful when Jesus actually does something big for them. And that's a sad thing to look at. And another thing this tells me is Jesus actually notices. Well, he's Jesus. Nothing hurts him. Jesus, he cares. He has emotions. We've seen him weep over Jerusalem. We've seen him weep over his friend Lazarus dying. We've seen Jesus show emotions and also he got angry. Jesus has emotions. He knows how to control them in a healthy way. Thank God. But right here, Jesus in this situation, it had to hurt just a little bit because he said, wait, where's the, where's the others? And, and the guy that came back to give thanks was a foreigner. He's not even one of my people. He's not even Jewish. The only guy that said thank you out of ten. What's wrong with this story? Jesus notices who's thankful and who's not thankful. That's just, I don't know. That's not, that makes me think about it because the very last thing I want to do is hurt Jesus. And I mean that with all of my heart. I don't want to hurt anybody. You guys know how soft I am. You know, sometimes I try to act tough, but you see right through it. Listen, come, come on, listen. I don't want to hurt anybody, but the thought of bringing hurt to Jesus and saying, my gosh, he really hurt me today, man, with what he did right there. That I, I love him, you know, but that, that really hurt. To think that I could do that to Jesus and say, wait a minute. I just he didn't even say thank you. What's up with I? You know, I raised him better than that. I trained him better than that. His mom did a better job than that. Listen, I never, ever want to hurt Jesus, the Holy Spirit, God the Father. I don't want to hurt them, and I know that it's very possible to hurt them. I want to give thanks. Every day of my life for what he's already done for me, what he's going to do in the future. He deserves it more than anybody else does. Jesus, let me let me show you here something in Psalm 30. Can we look at Psalm 30 real quick? This is what King David's attitude was. Now, we know that David is the only man in Scripture that God calls a man after my own heart. We're going to look at Psalm 30. Now, there's a lot of reasons that David could be called a man after God's own heart. We know he screwed up a lot, but yet in the end, God said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. Psalm 30. Here's one reason why. Because David had no trouble remembering what God did for him. David was a master. He had a wonderful memory. He was constantly thanking God, praising God, bringing up things from his childhood. 
I mean, even as an old man, he said, I have been young and now I am old, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their seed begging for bread. So David, all the way up into his old age, was still thanking God for things that God did in his childhood. David had a wonderful memory and constantly thanked God. But here we go. Psalm 30, verses 11 through 12, he says, You have turned my mourning into joyful dancing. You have taken away my clothes of mourning and clothed me with joy that I might sing praises to you and not be silent. Oh, Lord, my God, I will give you thanks forever. Is there anybody here that at one point you were wearing your clothes of mourning? You were in stress and anxiety. You were grieving. You were in a bad spot. But Jesus came down and he took those away and gave you the garment of praise. He gave you the the, the clothing of joy. Jesus did that for you. You were you were curled up in a ball crying and Jesus picked you up and turned your mourning into dancing. He said, I will not be silent. That's why I don't believe in being silent in church. There's a time for being silent, but there's also a time to make a little noise for Jesus and say, thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. I can't repay you, but I can praise you and I can give you everything that I am. And so David said, I will not be silent. I'm going to sing my praises to you. There's a time and there's a reason to make some noise in God's house and to give God some praise. And I can't take it to think of what he's done for me and to just sit there and be silent and not make some noise for Jesus. I love him so much. And so that's what David was doing right here. He said, I, I remember what you did. I remember when I was living in a cave. I remember when I had entire armies chasing me down and you have taken me out of that. You've turned my mourning into dancing. Some of you have come from some pretty bad situations. Not going to lie. I've heard your stories. I know you. Some of you have been pulled out of some messes. I know. Jesus turned your fear, your stress, your anxiety, your poverty, your sickness, your depression into joy. And I can't say thank you enough for that, Jesus. And so you may not have arrived yet. I say this all the time. You may not have arrived yet, but you've left where you used to be. And at least you're on your way. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. For what you've done. And so I'm telling you right now that when you don't remember what Jesus did, you become fearful over stupid things like bread. And then you become unthankful for the miracles he's done. And then the third thing that happens when we forget what Jesus has done. Number three is you become unfaithful. You become unfaithful. Now, this is a sad thing to look at uh, because People that forget what Jesus has already done, first of all, they're, they're, they're never satisfied with material things. They're always chasing down, yeah, yeah, I've got to have more money. I, I've got to have more cars. I've got to have, uh, they're always chasing more things down. And what happens is when you begin to chase things, when you begin to change, chase blessings rather than the blesser, you become unfaithful. 
It's one of the saddest things to look at. And one thing, you know, a lot of times in marriages that have grown cold, it's not even because they hate each other. They just don't remember all the good times. They forget all the great things that have happened. They forget all the good times. And we need to never forget because you'll begin to become unfaithful. If you were to look at your life and your marriage and you were to write down a list of all the good things, man, oh, how beautiful is that to remember all of the great times. We we were yesterday. I had to clean out my garage. I mean, I got to clean out my garage. My, you know, I wasn't I wasn't forced or anything. But Katie and I, we cleaned out our garage, and I'm looking through all these old pictures, and and I'm seeing like our you know high school graduations because we we've been together since we were 17 years old, got engaged at 18, got married at 19, and we're still together. You know, praise God for that. It's been awesome. What an awesome ride. So God is tremendously blessed us and i'm so thankful that i didn't have to go through a lot of this stuff you know that that a lot of the world goes through but i'm looking at all these old pictures of her her at her high school graduation and 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 all this stuff i'm like man this is awesome never forget all the great things that god has done in your life and brought you through and when you lose sight of that that's when somebody starts to become unfaithful they don't see the need for reading the bible every day they don't see the need for praying every day. They don't see the need for going to church all the time. Why? That's a heart issue. That's a hard heart. And you're becoming unfaithful. Now, unfaithfulness never starts in one big, one big decision. Unfaithfulness starts in little steps. It's always that way, right? I mean, it's always just one little step at a time. You start to back off and cool off a little bit at a time. The next thing you know, I mean, you're just you're you're out there and you're gone. And what a sad thing to look at. But listen, we as people, who in here is Jesus? Jesus has been faithful to you. Let me just ask that. He's been faithful to you. I mean, if nothing else, we can agree on that that he's been faithful. And I want to do my best to be faithful to him. He said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And that's cool that he said that to me. But you know what I want to say to Jesus? I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the world. I want to be able to say that to Jesus and mean it. He said it to me. I should be able to say that back to him. Now, throughout the Old Testament, the Israelites were notorious for Hot relationship, cold relationship. One day they're all in love with Jesus. The next day they forget with God Almighty. The next day they forget about him. They were in and they were out. They were on and they were off. They were, you know, if you were to ask them, what's your relationship status with God? It's complicated. I don't know what that means, but it's complicated. We're just, we're going through this thing right now and it's just, we're trying to work it out and I'm telling you right now, the only complicated thing is you. It's not God. If there's an issue, it's on my end because he doesn't have any issues, right? And so if there's a relationship issue, I better figure it out because it is not on God's end. And so in one of the strangest stories of the entire Bible, there's a prophet in the Old Testament named Hosea, right? And maybe you've read the book of Hosea. And God's like, I've got a special calling on your life, Hosea. I'm going to use you as a public illustration of Israel and me, okay? So here's what I need you to do, Hosea. I'm asking you to go marry a prostitute. Just hear me out on this, Hosea. 
I'm going to marry her name's Gomer. <laughs> I mean, it gets it was weird enough, but Gomer's. I hope your name's not Gomer, but if it is, your parents need slapped. But number two, it's this. I mean, a girl named Gomer. Where is this going? And so God's like, I need you to go down there. Okay, you'll find her down here. Her name's Gomer. Propose and get married, okay? And we're going to use you as a public illustration of how Israel treats me. And so, sure enough, Hosea marries good old Gomer, and and, and you know they they start their marriage. And wouldn't you know it? She's unfaithful. You know who saw that coming? But she's unfaithful. Uh, she she you know goes back and forth on her husband. And every time uh, uh, Hosea is like, you know what? I forgive you. I'll take you back. I promise I'll never do it again. And then she does it again. And so, and this keeps happening on and on, over and over again. And God says, okay, everybody, everyone's like, what's wrong with that guy? Why doesn't he just dump her? Why doesn't he just walk away? What's wrong with Hosea? And God's saying, that's exactly what you people do to me. I take you back. I forgive you. I say, you know what? Forget about it. That, that's the past. You know, let's just go to the future. And you do it again. And then you bat your eyes and apologize, and I bring you back, and I forgive you, and then you do it again. So don't make fun of Hosea when you're doing the exact same thing, except on a worse level. I'd hate to be Hosea, but my gosh, I'd even hate worse to be Gomer, right? For a lot of reasons, but let's look at this. 2 Timothy 2.13, 2 Timothy 2.13, praise God. I pray the Lord speaking to you today, and we need to remember what he's done for us. Don't forget to remember, because Jesus has been good to us. 2 Timothy 2.13, and this is the Apostle Paul, the last, the last stuff he ever wrote, the very last letter that we have that he ever wrote, he was just waiting for his execution he was in prison waiting for his his final day there. And and here he is. So, you know, Paul's pretty serious in this book. I mean, he knows what's getting ready to happen. He's an older man now. He's writing to a young man, Timothy. And, and he gives them all this advice. He tells them what the world is going to be like in the end times. And if you were to read 2 Timothy 3 and 4, you would see a very detailed description of the world in 2020. I mean, Paul just painted the picture of exactly what the world will be like in 2020. In fact, one of the things he says in 2 Timothy 3 is people will be very ungrateful, Timothy. Just be ready for it. They're not going to be thankful people. Like, wow, what an end times prophecy. But look at this, 2 Timothy 2 and verse 13. And I absolutely love this verse because I can just hear Paul saying it and speaking it to Timothy. He says, Timothy, if we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. Imagine that. that. This is one of the things I love most about our Heavenly Father. If we are unfaithful, he still remains faithful. Why? He cannot deny who he is. At his core, God is faithful. God's faithful, even when we don't deserve it, even when we've walked out, even when we have not been good to him. He remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. And so I'm challenging us today. 
I'm encouraging us. I am speaking to us right now. Don't forget to remember what God has done for you because we're just, I mean, there's a lot of stuff coming down the pike in the coming days and weeks and months, possibly years if we're here that long. There's a lot of stuff coming down the pike that could absolutely strike fear in your heart. And if you don't remember what God's brought you through, you will be paralyzed with fear and not know how to handle it. If you don't remember what God's done, there's going to be some difficult things come to this world and you're going to be so unthankful for what God's already done. You're just going to, you'll totally forget about all of it. And the very worst thing that could happen to you right now is that at this critical moment in history, you become unfaithful to God. That's a terrifying thought for me to think that right now, right when I need God the most, right when he needs me the most to be doing my job in this earth, that he would look down there and say, oh, there he goes again, unfaithful. He left me. He turned his back on me again. I was counting on him. Don't become unfaithful to Jesus right now. I often think about what it's going to be like when I hear that trumpet and, 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 and I see the sky split open and I see Jesus Christ, the Son of God, standing in the clouds saying, all right, it's time. Get out of there. Let's go. What am I going to be doing at that critical moment? What is he going to find me doing when he sees me? Am I going to be looking at something on my phone that I shouldn't be looking at? Oh, God, why did you come right now? Oh, Jesus, forgive me. I mean, that's just a word for some, especially some men, man. Don't be looking at junk you shouldn't be looking at on your stinking phone. That'll kill you, man. That'll destroy you. And I'm telling you, what, what, is he going to come back and say, what's he doing? Oh, my gosh. And I'm with a group of people I shouldn't even be with. Oh, Jesus, come back tomorrow. Just go back. Come back tomorrow. What am I going to be doing when Jesus comes back? Am I going to be faithful or am I going to be unfaithful? One last verse here, James 5, verses 19 through 20. James 5, verses 19 through 20. But I want to promise Jesus today, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will be with you forever. You can count on me, Jesus. James 5, verses 19 and 20. And James... The half-brother of Jesus said this, My dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. And so that tells me in no uncertain terms that it's totally possible for somebody that once was in relationship with Jesus to wander off and walk away. Well, he said he'd never leave me, and he never will. But some people leave him. Well, is my salvation secure? Is it eternal? It's absolutely secure. Jesus is never going anywhere. He's not leaving you, but it is possible for you to let go and leave him. 
And the good news is it says right here that if the brothers and sisters will restore that person, they are saving that person and bringing them back into the family and they still get to go to heaven someday. They still get to have their sins forgiven. And so I'm going to ask us this morning, let's go ahead and stand up together. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.